Good evening, everyone. Uh, welcome to our newest episode of Walter's World. My name is Walter Sweat. I'm the CTO here at Estadia, and I am delighted today to be uh, joined by one of my good friends, Bob Ellsworth, who's the Worldwide Director for Mainframe Transformation at Microsoft. Bob, thank you so much for taking the time being with us here today. Thanks for having me, Walter. I got to tell you, as long as I've known you, and I probably shouldn't tell you this, but you've always kind of been my hero because <laughs> you actually were an assembler programmer early on in your career. That's something that uh, not many people ever get to do. Um, can you yeah, believe from those days to now what has changed? Oh, I tell you, it is pretty amazing. So I started uh, in 1971. I was uh, worked my way through Virginia Tech, uh, maintaining the IBM operating system, MVT at the time, and migrated MVS. So, of course, assembler was my favorite language as a systems programmer. But you think over the last, uh, what, 49 years, what a change there's been in the industry. It's crazy, isn't it? It sure is. Well, Bob, as the worldwide director for mainframe transformation, what exactly do you and your team do for Microsoft? Yeah, what we do, you, you always think of you know, Microsoft mainframes, what the heck do they have in common? Uh, but in fact, you know, this has been a longstanding uh, capability and offering we've had here at Microsoft. I started our mainframe migration practice in 2008, and we built an ecosystem of partners with tools and services to help customers transform from the mainframe. And so our goal and our responsibility is to work with the customers, help them understand what the options are, what the tools are, the services, to ensure they have the right solutions to be successful in moving workloads off the mainframe. Makes perfect sense. So in your tenure, have you seen the pace of companies, uh, mainframe companies especially, who are looking for alternatives, who are you know now talking about the cloud? Has that changed a lot over the years? You know, it's, it's absolutely accelerated. And so you know, just in the last oh, 12 months, maybe 18 months, we've seen a huge increase in customer interest in mainframe transformation. And, and part of it is, you know, their, you know the, the maturity of the cloud, uh, the maturity of the technologies and the services from our partners, uh, where we've got a lot of great experience and had successful migrations. And more and more customers are questioning, do they really need to stay on the mainframe for the workloads that they're supporting today? Or are there options? Especially in the last 12 months, uh, I look back in the last 12 months, I've had 350 customer engagements. Wow. So crazy on the level of interest. And the other thing that's driving it is, you know, IBM's requirement that you upgrade your mainframe to say current generation minus two. And a lot of customers with Z13s are evaluating what their options are, or do they need to plan to upgrade the Z13 by August of next year? Well, I would think with the associated costs that go along with upgrading a mainframe, not just the cost to IBM, but the third-party products, that that can make a huge difference, just going to a different size machine, you may not necessarily be getting a whole lot of extra oomph from those third-party products, but you can expect a, a much bigger cost. Well, definitely, if you go to a larger machine, if your workloads are growing, of course, your software costs are going to go up uh, commensurate, uh, both the IBM and third-party costs. And what we find typically, your software costs are about half of your total between hardware and software. Uh, so if you continue to grow, uh, your budget needs to continue to grow. Makes sense. Um, but one of the things that, you know, when we first met, uh, the cloud really was just being looked at back then. Uh, so it wasn't necessarily a, a part of what everybody was looking to do. I'm curious about over the last eight years or so, 
Uh, how have companies started to look at Azure specifically as a part of their mainframe migration strategy? You know, it, it is interesting. Uh, the cloud has matured uh, pretty dramatically. And whether it be Azure, AWS, GCP, we've seen some huge improvements in reliability, availability, serviceability, you know, those characteristics that you expect on a mainframe. And because of those, you know, continued advancements, we're seeing more and more customers uh, setting a strategy uh, where they have a first a cloud first strategy, mm -hmm. where they'll select the cloud for building new applications. Then they start to evaluate, well, what's left in the data center and how can we consider migrating some of those workloads as well. And it's pretty easy to move, you know, Windows and Linux virtual machines up to the cloud. And much more difficult, much more challenging to move mainframe workloads. But you don't want to have that be the, la the last thing left in the data center. So having a strategy to move those business mission critical workloads is part of what most of the customers are putting together today. That certainly makes sense. Thank you. Um, one of the things that I've always found interesting when people talk to me about the cloud is elastic scalability. Um, and where that really seems to come into play is for organizations who, I don't know, maybe if it's just that they're more seasonal in nature, where mm -hmm. they really be able, need to be able to respond more to their changing business needs. Um, is that something that people talk to you a lot about, being able to leverage cloud as a way of doing business in different ways than they've been able to do so before? Yeah, it, it really does. You, you think about some of the benefits of the cloud, you know, the elasticity, so they'd be able to, the ability to grow and shrink your capacity based on, on needs mm -hmm. and not have to have, you know, turn on additional hardware to do that, simply, you know, reactivating the virtual machines. Um, uh, even disaster recovery and failover, where on the mainframe, you typically have a backup data center or another location you can fail over to. Uh, with the cloud, you can set up the environment to dynamically fail over from one environment to another. And getting back to it's sort of interesting on this um, you know, capacity upgrade on the mainframe. Um, I'm actually a patent holder on uh, the mainframe. I have three patents. Uh, one of those is uh, one thing, uh, one called uh, dynamic CPU add and remove. And I got that patent while working at Amdahl competing with IBM. Uh, IBM cross-licensed that for their capability called capacity upgrade on demand. This is where on the mainframe, you can turn on spare processors and use those when you need them. And you, know, you do have to you know, contact IBM and, and enable that and then pay the, the cost of it. And it's so much easier to do in the cloud. Simply adding or removing processors to your virtual machines is a, a much easier way to get that additional capacity when you need it. And you only pay for what you need. Such a huge savings and such a great benefit for organizations who, for whatever reason, may exceed uh, expected peak demand to be able to, to respond to that. That's something that didn't exist prior to the cloud, certainly. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the case, is that ability to only pay for what you consume. And especially you think of licensing software on the mainframe. Mm -hmm. Most customers pay for the peak four-hour period. If you happen to have a month-end process that drives utilization higher than the rest of the month, you're paying a premium for the entire month uh, for your use of software. And the beauty is up in the cloud, again, you only pay for what you consume. So you can grow your utilization as you need and only pay for the consumption that you have. That's perfect. Thank you, Bob. Um, as you talk to so many customers, can you just kind of lay out what you think maybe the top three major factors are that drive companies to consider alternatives to the mainframe to have them look at the cloud? 
Yeah, we've, we found it's actually four business drivers that we've seen. And, and the top one historically has been cost. As we've, you, we've talked about, you know, the, the elasticity or the increased capacity needs that you have drives up your costs on the mainframe. Uh, but when you compare the, the mainframe hardware costs, you acquire the hardware, you depreciate it over three or four years, you know, running the same workload in Azure comparably, it's about 10% of the mainframe cost. So x86 hardware is much less expensive than mainframe hardware. And that's what you know reduces those costs. So cost reduction is something customers are always looking for. Skill shortage tends uh-huh. to be a big one, not just assembler programmers like me, but COBOL programmers or natural or whatever you happen to be running is, is the second item. And we've seen that more and more as the gray tsunami is coming and more and more people are retiring. But skill shortage is the second one. Business agility. You know, it's it's difficult uh, to upgrade mainframe applications to address the needs of the business. And then cloud choice, being able to decide to move out of the data center and move these workloads to the cloud. Those are really the four drivers that we see day in and day out. That makes sense. One of the things that I've found, uh, and I wanted to see if you felt the same, uh, it's interesting. There are organizations now, huge organizations that have never had a mainframe who've come up you know, in the last 10 years who've been able to develop their platforms without a mainframe. Um, I think about FinTech, where they drive change so rapidly that organizations really have to be able to respond in ways that they never had to before, just yeah. from a pure competitive balance. Would you agree? Absolutely. And, and you find the challenge of cloud native companies are making a huge impact on legacy brick and mortar companies where the legacy companies, they have a disadvantage because they have a legacy system that they have to maintain and manage and utilize, where cloud native companies can simply build new solutions in the cloud. Uh, but they also have an advantage because they've got the customer install base uh, that they can resell to and, and engage with. So it's a, it's a double-edged sword, but those legacy companies are at a disadvantage when it comes to addressing new business opportunities. I'm sure that's a reason that a lot of them do start to look for that. Absolutely. Um, Bob, you know, here at Estadia, we, we for years have offered a replatforming solution where we're able to take people before the cloud. It was on premise where they were running off of the mainframe. Uh, now with the cloud, that's where everybody wants to go. But we also offer the ability for people to refactor. Mm-hmm. Given that you talk to so many organizations, I'm just curious as to your opinion as to what do you hear people wanting to do? Do they want to kind of keep in the platform they're in or are people really starting to look for other ways that they can run their environment? You know, it really varies from one company to another or even from one application team to another within the same company. Um, Typically what we find is if a customer has the skills uh, to maintain, if they have the skill resources to maintain their applications and support them that know things like COBOL, uh, then rehosting is the right path. For customers that are having challenges, finding the right skills to support, maintain their workloads, their applications, that's the ones that are more interested in refactoring to another language. And you think of rehosting, you know, that's typically been the most mature technology, but the refactoring technologies have also improved over the years and are much more automated. So as the technologies improve, they become much more acceptable to customers. And also as customers face that skill shortage, they may look to refactoring over rehosting. You know, so it's great when we engage with customers, we really help them understand the pluses and minuses of each one. 
and then ensure they pick that right solution, whether it's rehosting, refactoring, or other. Yeah, yeah, I think that you would probably agree. We there is not a one perfect answer for every organization, nor is there one perfect technology. So, the fact that the industry has matured so much that people have options, I think you know, really puts everyone in a great position now. Yeah, it really does. Um, the anytime the tools mature and you get new enter entries into the market because they, the market opportunity continues to grow. Uh, that drives existing vendors to improve the tools that they have to be much more automated and much more exacting uh, and, and you know, capable. So we're seeing that advancements with existing companies and also new companies entering the market with their tools. But it really, it's all driven by that customer demand. And so we are seeing, we have seen a shift over the last two years where we're seeing a, a, a larger percentage um, than in previous years, think about refactoring, where previously it was maybe 75, 80% wanted to rehost, and you know, up to maybe 20% wanted to refactor. That's shifting a little bit more over to maybe 25% wanting to refactor. Okay, great. Thanks, Bob. So I'd be interested, can you tell me anything about what Microsoft specifically is doing in terms of looking at new tools, I know you work with partners and the partner ecosystem extensively, but internally, are y'all doing things to help uh, organizations be able to consider moving to the cloud more easily? Yeah, here at Microsoft, as I mentioned, me and my team you know, handle the, the customer engagements and manage the partner ecosystem, drive opportunities together. But we also have other teams across Microsoft uh, that assist in these efforts that are key contributors and collaborators. Uh, one is a team called Azure Global Engineering, and they're part of the Azure team. Uh, the beauty is they've got deep mainframe migration experts as part of that team, and they we bring them in to help architect solutions, to help with the biggest problems. Since they have direct access into the Azure engineering team, they're able to take those big challenges back to Azure engineering to make improvements to our technology and, and to make advancements. A couple examples of that. Uh, one is we had a, several customers where they use vSAM on the mainframe. And vSAM being a very high performance database, uh, even more so for particular usages than DB2. And for those customers, they needed high performance for data access in the cloud. So our Azure Global Engineering team worked with the Cosmos DB team and created an emulation for vSAM and Cosmos DB. And that way we were able to take it back to a couple of our high performance customers and show them how they could you know, get the same, if not better performance in the cloud, in addition to the reliability and availability, the distributed database capabilities of Cosmos DB, really take advantage of that cloud database system to replace the functionality of vSAM on the mainframe. So that's one example. Another example I'd like to share is, we had a customer, of course, in Azure, you can select what database you wanna use, whether it be SQL or DB2 or Oracle, uh, all fully supported by ourselves and, and those vendors as well. And we had a, a customer that needed to be able to share databases and they wanted to stay on DB2 because of the, the complexity of the stored procedures. They wanted to go from DB2 on ZOS to DB2 on Linux uh, running in the cloud. And so our global engineering team worked with IBM to get DB2 pure scale working in Azure and fully shared uh, the DB2 database between virtual machines and Azure. And so this was a um, you know, huge collaboration, uh, which is unique uh, on our side, uh, to be able to support you know, those unique customer needs like DB2 in the cloud and database sharing like you do with parallel systems. 
So we continually look for you know, challenges like that, ensure that we can uh, satisfy and deliver new functionality in the cloud to support those challenging mainframe opportunities. And as we both get the opportunity to work with what I think are a, a different size of potential customers today. You know, back in the day, if we talked to someone who was a thousand MIPS, we we would always get kind of giddy. That was a that was a milestone. Yeah. Now we're talking to organizations that are, you know, a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand MIPS who had different needs. So that's exciting that y'all get to provide that kind of collaboration and effort to help these kinds of customers really be able to duplicate what they're doing on the mainframe. Well, and that's big. That's Walter, you're absolutely right. That's been a big shift that we've seen, you know, and when we started this practice back in 2008, you know, up to 5,000 MIPS was, you know, stretching it and then it became 10 and then 20. And now, as you mentioned, we're working with customers with 450,000 MIPS, you know, 300,000 MIPS. That's amazing. Yeah, which is crazy. And part of that also is, is you need to support these workloads in a hybrid way to be able to continue running some workload on the mainframe and interoperate with uh -huh. workload running in the cloud. And with advancements in technology, we can do that in Architect Solutions to do that as well. Wonderful, thanks. So I'm gonna put you on the spot here, Bob. Put your Swami hat on for me if you don't <laughs> mind. Sure. And can you, if you were to look out five years from now, um, do you think that there's going to just continue to be an increased acceptance of from mainframe customers making the move to the cloud? Is there any reason that people yeah. would not go to the cloud? You know, there, there are some blockers today, uh, in particular data sovereignty, and where a customer needs to keep, let's say a financial services customer, and within financial services, banking, capital markets, insurance, 39% uh, of all mainframes are in that space. And so with those FinServe customers, you may be in a country where you have to keep the data in country. And if there's not an Azure data center within that country, they're pretty much stuck where they need to keep the, the workloads in the country where they reside. So data sovereignty continues to be a blocker. Uh, perhaps acceptance by an industry and the, the certifications of the cloud for a specific industry. And that applies to both mainframe workloads going to the cloud and other workloads as well. So those are some of the key blockers that we see. As I mentioned, just in the last year and a half, we've seen a, a huge acceptance of the cloud as a reliable, available, scalable kind of solution. So it's increased the percent of customers that choose to go to the cloud instead of on-premise. I would say today we're seeing 60% plus uh, customers choose cloud first, and that's where they want to land. And we, we see that increase you know, month over month. Uh, in five years, it's going to be 95%. Um, so easily predict that 95% mark might be higher than that, but uh, all the barriers uh, will be broken down by then. So, you know, it'll continue growing each year and reach that 95% within five years. I, I fully agree with that. And, and I think that each success, every customer who is successfully able to move to the cloud just makes it that much easier for the next company down the road to consider it, to know that it absolutely can work for them. Absolutely. Yeah, those customer references really go a long way to breaking down the concern of a, a prospect uh, if they're considering the cloud. I've always likened it. No one ever wants to be the first to a technology uh -huh. and no one ever wants to be the last one using an old technology. So that's right. Uh, it's that's good right. to kind of find that right time to do it. Well, another term we like to use is bleeding edge. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. You don't, you don't want to be the first one. 
but yeah, you, you really look, need to look at, you know, making no decision is a bad decision. So not being the last one uh, on, on a platform, you pay a premium when you're the last one on that platform. Indeed, indeed. Uh, Bob, from the organizations that you've talked about and for the companies who have actually made this transition to Azure, um, what has performance been like for them? Yeah, it's, it's so important. Um, you can configure a system uh, so that you can get the same or better performance than you have on the mainframe. And you have to be careful in, in how you configure them. First of all, you need to set up the environment just like you would a mainframe in the way you manage it and support it. You don't treat it like a distributed platform. You treat it like a mission critical mainframe environment and architect the solution to deliver the performance that you require. You know, when you think of, of mainframe processors, uh, a mainframe processor delivers about 1,768 MIPS, I think, for the Z14, Z15. And so it's um, you know, high performance. Uh, mainframes are, are an amazing platform. IBM continues to do an incredible job on the mainframe. Uh, x86, you know, equivalent processor, equivalent core, is about 200 MIPS. So it takes a lot more cores to equal the performance of a single processor on the mainframe. But with technology being able to distribute the workload across multiple cores, um, you can get the same level of transaction responsiveness and, and throughput and, and uh, you know, capacity as you do on a mainframe, again, properly configured. Uh, we've done, uh, our partners have done workload tests running the very same workload on a mainframe and also up in Azure. Um, they did the latest test with a, a 128 core virtual machine, an M128. And we're able to get 28,000 MIPS out of, a, out of a single image environment. So the capacity is there to handle the, the size of partitions of almost any customer. When you think of things like batch, um, most customers in their data center don't have solid state drives. When you go to Azure, you can configure to have premium storage, which is solid state. Typically batch are delayed by waiting for IO, IO operations, the spinning device to get back to the right cylinder. Because of that, for batch, a lot of times you can reduce the batch cycle, the batch window, uh, because you can get the batch done faster because storage is, is more accessible. And for onlines, as long as you distribute the transactions across the right number of, let's say, Kix regions mm -hmm. running in the cloud, uh, you can get the transaction rate that you need for your onlines as well. Uh, so again, it's so important to architect the solution correctly to deliver the performance that you're looking for. That makes sense. One of the uh, the things that I think everyone is always interested in when they're considering moving off of the mainframe, if they've never worked in an environment off of the mainframe is, you know, what's this new world gonna look like and what's it gonna cost me? How easy is it to kind of guesstimate what the Azure consumption would be to match what mainframe workload is today? You know, it's pretty darn easy. As long as you know uh, for each partition, each LPAR, as long as you know um, how many MIPS uh, that partition is using at a peak, and as long as you know, you know how much of the zip processing is used or mm -hmm. how many IFLs are used for Linux or zip for DB2 offload, as long as you have um, a subcapacity report that you typically submit to IBM to be charged for your software costs, um, you can determine what the, the MIPS and the zips are and the IFLs are. As long as you know that, it's pretty easy to set up an Azure, architect an Azure configuration, and using our regular Azure pricing calculators, you can determine what the cost is going to be. Uh, this is this is a service that uh, you know the Azure Global Engineering team provides uh, for us. 
So as we engage with customers, uh, we take a look at their partition configuration. We set up the VM configuration in the cloud and provide the cost estimates for what the Azure cost would be for both processing capacity, for storage, for connectivity like express route, for ingress and egress. So there's a lot of components you have to take into account, but that's really easy to set up. Once you have that defined, you can easily tell what your monthly bill is going to be for running that configuration. Obviously, a very important consideration as people are considering this. It has to make economic and technical sense. And, you know, to me, it's exciting that there are enough wins out there that people can recognize that technically, absolutely, this is possible. And from a cost perspective, the savings are just phenomenal from everything that I see. You know, and that's the key. And time and time again, as we build these configurations, we find that the the Azure costs are about 10% of what the mainframe cost is when you depreciate that cost over, you know, three or four years. So that's a that's a huge driver uh, that helps offset the cost of doing the migration. Now, if you can pay for the migration in, let's say, 12 months or 18 months, and from then on, you get continual cost savings by having gone through that process, it makes really good economic sense. Absolutely. So, Bob, I think that leads to probably the most important question that I'll ask you today, and that's if people are interested in learning more, if they want to reach out to Microsoft to say, let me see how the cloud can help my organization, what's the best way for that to occur? Well, the best way to reach me and my team is we have an email, of course, uh, mainframetransformed at microsoft.com. So if uh, anyone is interested in having a conversation or getting assistance or just having questions that they they need answered, they can reach me and the team at mainframetransformed at microsoft.com. Perfect. And I'll throw in a a link as well. If anybody has questions about Estadia and our capabilities in helping people move to the cloud, um, www.estadia.com. We have uh, references and uh, case studies and ways that you can reach out to uh, to ask us any questions you might have. Well, Bob, it has been a delight talking with you. Thank you so very much for taking time out of what I know is your very busy day. Uh, And I hope that this was a really informative and helpful session for everybody. I think it had to have been. Great. Thank you so much, Walter. I appreciate the time. Uh, It was my pleasure. And everyone, thank you for taking the time to join us today. Um, This podcast has been recorded. So if you want to share it with others, you know, please just visit us on our website and you'll be able to see it and access it from there as well. Thanks again. And we're looking forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. 